Hello, I'm Willie George. I want to welcome you to this edition of the Faith Roots Podcast. Now, if you don't know about this, I'm going to tell you, and you who do know about it, and you get tired of me saying it every day, bear with me. Go to our website at myfaithroots.com. You'll be able to register for a free email devotion that'll come to your house every day along with this podcast. And so uh, I encourage you to do that. And then be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and get notifications of these things all the time. All right, let's go to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now, Jesus is our high priest who passed through the curtains of the invisible world that he might do something for us. You know, when he was raised from the dead, Mary Magdalene saw Jesus in the garden right outside the tomb, and she was about to embrace him, fall at his feet. He said, touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Jesus had to go and make a presentation of his sacrificial blood to the Heavenly Father, which would pay for the sins of the whole world. Now later, he tells other people, touch me, put your finger in the nail print of my hand, he says to Thomas. But he told Mary, don't touch me because I haven't yet ascended to my Father. Those are the words of a high priest who has purified himself and is going to take the blood of a sacrifice into the Holy of Holies on the day of Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year on the Jewish calendar. And it's when the high priest would make atonement first for himself, but then for the whole nation. And so the sins of the whole country were forgiven on Yom Kippur. And they were, but it was a year at a time. And then the next year it had to be renewed. So every year on Yom Kippur, those sins would be atoned for. Now Christ came to fulfill that. That was a picture, a symbol of what he would come to do. Uh, But Jesus actually entered into the heavens to the real temple. The one on earth in Jerusalem was a copy of the real one that was in heaven. Uh, David saw that temple in heaven. He saw how it was laid out and he described it, wrote uh, directions for its building. And uh, so God showed him how to do all of that. And this temple had an outer court. It had a holy place, which is where uh, the Jewish people were allowed. Gentiles could come to the outer court, but they couldn't go into the middle court. That was only for Jews, and that's where the sacrifices for the common people were offered all the time. But then there was the Holy of Holies, which was the inner sanctum. And this was a very sacred spot, and you couldn't go there just any time. Only the high priest could go, and only once a year. Inside the Holy of Holies, there is the Ark of the Covenant where the mercy seat was. The two angels are kneeling on top of that, on the lid of that uh, uh, chamber, the little box uh, that is the Ark of the Covenant. The Ten Commandments are inside, uh, and, and the two angels are kneeling facing each other, and their wings are overspreading the middle part, and that's where the presence of God would be. That's the mercy seat, and they would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice there. I say they, the high priest would do it, and they only do it once a year. And he could only do it after purifying himself very carefully. 
And uh, so those words, touch me not, that would have been uttered by a high priest after he went through all of this purification. Don't touch me. He's saying that to all the people around. Do not touch me. Jesus would have done that uh, to tell Mary, I'm going to the real Holy of Holies. He went in to sprinkle the blood of an animal on the mercy seat. That's what the high priest did. Jesus went in to sprinkle his own blood on the mercy seat and and, and, and we're talking about faith. We're not talking about the high priestly ministry of Jesus necessarily, but it, it will bear on our understanding of faith in a little bit. I'll get you to that. Hebrews 9 verse 11 is where we'll start. But Christ came as high priest of good things to come. Think about that. Good things. That's what God has for you. He came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He's talking about a heavenly temple. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place, or the holy of holies, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. He only had to do it one time. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now let me explain this. The temple was set up with that veil, that separation between God's presence and, and the people who are on the outside. Well, that's a picture of the earth. And, and the, the Holy of Holies is a picture of heaven, which is where God's throne is. And so Jesus was able to go through the heavens. He passed through the heavens as the high priest. And when he's passing through the heavens, he's passing through barriers because you've got Satan and fallen angels and all of these demonic powers watching helplessly. Can you imagine this? As he goes up through the heavens where the prince of the power of the air is. He goes through them and they know what he has. He is carrying his blood and he's carrying the blood that will be payment for the sins of mankind. And the devil knows he's toast. He knows I've lost. I have lost my grip on humanity. Anybody who wants to be free of me can be free of me now that he did that. He'll never tell you that, but, but he knows that. He's certain of that. That's why in the book of Revelation it says, we overcome Satan by the blood of the lamb and by the word that's in our testimony, by our knowing that. And saying that. It's the word that we speak that, that we defeat him by. And what are we saying? We're saying the same thing that the blood says. Now this is what a lot of people do not get. The blood of Jesus is talking. It speaks, the Bible says. You know, God said to Cain after he murdered his brother Abel, he went to him and he didn't condemn him right away. He asked him some questions. He tried to get Cain to confess. God will always do that. He wants to appeal to us on the highest possible level. So he asked Cain the question, Cain, where is your brother Abel? And he pops off back to God. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And so then God confronts him with evidence. He didn't say you're a murderer, you're a killer. He said the voice of your brother's blood 
cries to me from the ground. Now that's a statement of fact. Even then, he is endeavoring to get Cain to repent of his sin. Notice that God's not an accuser. God presents evidence, but he's not an accuser. And he didn't just rush in, hey, Cain, you killed your brother. Didn't do that. He asked him first, where is your brother, in hopes that Cain would have a twinge of conscience and would confess his sin. This is how you deal with your children. I learned to do this. I didn't always do it. Very often the first thing I did was come in and accuse them. And I had to learn if I want to be like my father God, I can't come in and accuse. I come in and I, I start by asking questions. And then I better be prepared to lay out some evidence if I'm going to bring this thing to a good conclusion. And so I have my evidence, but I'm not going to bring the evidence first. I'm going to ask some questions because I would like for my children, when they were young, I would like for them to get this settled and to deal with it themselves without me having to force every little detail out of them. And, and that's how God did with, with, with Cain. He, he, and he said, the voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. Uh, think about that. Uh, Abel's blood was condemning Cain. Abel's blood was screaming out for a long time. Uh, uh, Cain is a murderer. He killed me. I want you to listen to this. Okay, This is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem to an innumerable company of angels. We're going to see that someday. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Names are written there. To God, judge of all. To the spirits of just men made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Now listen to this and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. The Bible says the blood that Jesus sprinkled on the mercy seat in heaven, that blood speaks better things, way better things than the blood of Abel. All right, now I'm going to read you Hebrews chapter 4 in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. He went through those curtains. Let us hold fast our confession. The word confession is a Greek word, homologio. And for you people who speak Greek and understand Greek or know New Testament Greek, have mercy on me. I don't. I'm doing the best I can. But it means this. It means, according to W. E. Vine, to speak the same thing, to agree with, to decree openly by way of speaking out freely, such confession being the effect of deep conviction of facts, to confess by way of celebrating with praise. Now these are the positive elements of confession. There is the confession of sin, but that's not what this is talking about. We are not to let go of our confession. Let us hold fast. Get a death grip on it. I mean, you're not about to let go. Let us hold fast our confession. What are you holding on to? You're holding on to the words that Jesus has spoken about you. Now, now listen. 
If you're out here saying, I'm a failure, I have no faith, God hadn't heard me pray, I don't know what's going on, I'm just disappointed in life. When you're talking like that, you are not confessing what Jesus is confessing. Do you think that's what He is saying in heaven about you? Do you think that that's what His blood speaks about you? The Bible says that His blood is speaking better things than the accusing that Abel's blood speaks. Jesus' blood is saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus' blood is saying, Father, they are now righteous because I gave them my righteousness. I took their sins and they got my righteousness. Lord, I took their poverty. Now you can make them rich. You can supply all their need according to these riches in glory, not according to what they are dealing with in limited fashion on earth, but according to your riches in glory. You can supply all of their need. That's what God is saying about you. It's what Jesus is saying about you. So this word confession means to say the same thing. Who am I saying the same thing? Of. I'm saying the same thing that Jesus is saying. That's what confession means. And this is how you and I activate and hold on to our faith. Once you pray your prayer, you need something to do to hold on to your answer, and you hold with your mouth. Your mouth is the method by which you hold that which you have. Someone said, but what about believing? Yes, believing is important. You believe with the heart. But if you do not say something with your mouth, the believing in your heart will dry up. It takes two of these things. You know, I was teaching this to kids years ago, and I thought, how can I get kids to see that there are two active elements in faith. And I did it with a little battery, a little dry cell battery and a little light bulb. And I had two electrical wires. And I hooked up a wire from the battery, from the positive pole to the, uh, to the, uh, to the light bulb, and nothing happened. And I said, now, is this battery hooked up to the light bulb? Yes, it is. But why isn't it working? Because in order for the battery to power the light bulb, there have to be two lines. And faith is very similar to that. There are two lines to our faith. There is the line of believing with your heart. But your faith will not be active if you don't add a second line, which is the speaking with your mouth. And that's how we come to faith. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. The confession is listed as important as the believing. You have no right, I have no right to diminish confession or to take away its importance. We are to confess what Christ has done for us. We are to confess the promises that He has spoken to us. It is upon us, it's incumbent upon us to say these things Oh, listen to me. If you're going to have active faith, you've got to understand how important it is not only to believe but to speak. Philemon says this, and he's only got one little chapter there. Philemon 6. 
that the acknowledgement of your, or that the the uh, operation of your faith being enhanced, being activated, being energized by the acknowledging of every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus. Paul said to Philemon, if you want your faith to be strong, you have to learn to acknowledge every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. That's what confession is. And so when we confess the Word of God, when we confess what we're believing for, when we confess that, we are agreeing with what the blood of Christ is speaking over us from heaven. Again, that's why it's so important for you to find God's promises and know them so that you can be sure of what it is you're saying. Well, that's all the time that we have for today, but we'll pick up here tomorrow, so don't you dare miss it. See you then.